The Empire Strikes Back is a great film, and it's definitely you know the top one or two fan favorite of all the six Star Wars films. I love you. I know. But as great and dramatic as the film is, it was a struggle to get that film made. The Empire has been repulsed, but this one defeat will increase its determination to crush the rebellion once and for all. continuation of the Star Wars saga, the Empire strikes back, and Luke, Han, and Princess Leia must confront its awesome might. In the course of the Odyssey, they travel with their faithful friends, droids, and Wookiees to exotic worlds where they meet new alien creatures and evil machines. between Luke Skywalker and the master of the dark side of the force, Darth Vader. Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2, Chewbacca, and introducing Landau Calrissian. In the continuation of the Star Wars saga, the Empire Strikes Back, coming next year. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. Star Wars fans, move milkers everywhere. This is episode number 108 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And it's Gabe. And later we are going to be talking about the fascinating, strange tale of Lee Brackett, a forgotten name in Star Wars history, and her vastly underrated contribution to the Star Wars galaxy, and specifically Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, and it kind of goes a little long, I think, with our Darth Vader art film episode from last week. Another kind of different take on Darth Vader <laughs> than we're used to in some cases. So That's definitely true. I, I think it's, it's also a strange cousin of uh, the Richard Marquand talk, where unsung heroes of the original trilogy. When you think Star Wars can't get any weirder, it does. 
and has. Well, speaking of getting weirder, there's some Last Jedi stuff we can talk about. Get drama. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Last Jedi. Is this maybe the last of The Last Jedi stuff? Yeah, until we get to the uh, the eventual Blu-ray release, which I can't wait to see what's on that. But uh, hey, Last Jedi is nominated for some Oscars. It's not going to win anything, but <laughs> it'll win the AARP thing. It'll win the Grown Up Awards at least. It's got that going for it. What, what's it was nominated for visual effects, which if it, I'd say if anything, it's got a chance for that, right? Yeah. Well, it always seems like it has a chance for that. And it never seems to win that. So original score, maybe now that John Williams is still John Williams, but he's been John Williams for so long, maybe he'll win again. But I guess I could see sound editing or sound mixing maybe winning. I was really happy to see Blade Runner 2049 nominated in those categories, too, because nothing against Last Jedi. But when I saw Blade Runner 2 in the theater, the sound for that. It was making my seat rattle. I think I, I puked in my mouth a little bit. The sound was so crazy. Yeah, that's a good point. I forget that that's in the category too. Yeah, there. Well, that's even more reason Star Wars might win because Blade Runner should win. So that's a good Star Wars has a good shot then because yeah, the sound in that movie, the the like motorcycle rev synthesizer sound thing. <laughs> Jumped out of my seat a couple times. But I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be rooting for both Star Wars or Blade Runner. And it's always an honor to be nominated. It's, it's a crime that Master Codebreaker is not nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He could be nominated in all the acting categories. Best Actor, Best Actress, Lead, Supporting, anything. It should be a special category, Best Master Codebreaker. And all five nominees are Master Codebreaker. Maybe DJ's in there as like... The other code breaker. I can do it. Yeah, he doesn't have a chance. Maybe. Yeah, man. I w- w- won an Oscar. His <laughs> <laughs> uh, was the statue made out of uh, was it Hessian smelt or whatever? <laughs> Blip blabbery bloop. Get you into Snoke's boudoir. <laughs> There should be just, when a new Star Wars movie comes out, just the Star Wars awards for best whatever from a movie. Who is the best alien? Yeah, that's a really good idea. Who's the best droid that's not BB-8 or R2-D2 or C-3PO? Yeah, best droid, best alien, best non-speaking background human. <laughs> the Star Wars show. The Academy Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Oh, so in other Last Jedi news, on the Star Wars show, they had a little piece about the upcoming novelization of Last Jedi that we've been all looking forward to so much. I think a lot of people forgot that it was even coming out. I did. I completely forgot (laughs) until that. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's no novelization yet. 
It's coming out March 6th, and it's got a lot of bonus stuff, including an interesting little tidbit that it's got something about Han's funeral. When I was a kid, when a movie I loved would come out, I would ride my bike to the grocery store, and I would get the novelization. And action! I was very lucky I got to sit down up at Skywalker Ranch and meet with the author who wrote the novel for it, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson and I had an amazing conversation. We got to write entirely new scenes for the book. Han Solo's funeral, Rose and Paige Tico together, and further explorations of the fascinating world of Cantabite, to name just a few. Yeah, I'm interesting to see what that is. It totally makes sense why they didn't have time in the movie, so I wonder how they handle that in the book. Yeah, it's my only thought is when. Like, when do they have time? And the little bit that you see in the book, like they mentioned Akbar, so I almost wonder if it's like a little ceremony on the Radis, you know, where it's like, well, we don't have time to rent a hall, you know, or <laughs> right, right. We got, you know, 40 minutes in hyperspace before we get back to base. Let's, uh, let's just talk about Han and get it out of the way. Kind of makes me bummed a little bit, though. Like, I understand why they wait to release the novelization because they don't want to give anything away, but I miss like being able to get the novelization right away. Same with the comic book adaptation. Like I kind of miss having that, like the day the movie comes out to go home and, and sift through. I'm excited for the novelization, but the, I don't know if I'm as excited to read it now, like a month later. Yeah. And I wonder if that's why they're hyping up, like um, that. It's got lots of bonus doodads in it. Yeah. So they showed footage of the now infamous third lesson, the caretaker party, of that deleted scene, and I don't know, that looks pretty great. Got to talk through some interesting additional scenes from the film. That old legend of Luke Skywalker that you hate so much, I believed in it. That's kind of the fun stuff you can get into a novel that you can't always get onto the screen. Give me everything. Reading what was going to happen sounded like it was going to be cool but now actually seeing it yeah i'm super pumped for that if there's really a shot of r2d2 with a necklace on i don't know what i'm going to do (laughs) (laughs) you know there was there's a part at the end where like ray is talking to luke like the luke skywalker that you believed is a legend and i i I couldn't really pay attention to what she was seeing because my eyes just kept going to the caretakers in the back dancing. I think when the Blu-ray comes out, I'm going to have to watch the deleted scenes in my car so I can have my seatbelt on, I think is how it's going to work. Because at <laughs> least then the airbag can go off if it, if it gets too intense. Uh, to go get some, some sunglasses. It doesn't hurt my eyes watching it. <laughs> like to make one of those, like when we had the eclipse and you had to look through like a pinhole the reflection on like a white piece of paper through a box. Yeah. It'd be just like that. It's the only way to watch the caretaker party. Yeah. Dancing caretakers. You you only see it. It's a blurry thing in the background, but that was just enough. Yeah. Well, they're being smart. They're getting people uh, warmed up like everyone. They don't want anyone in the hospital when uh, solo comes out and they're, you know, the Blu-ray and solo are so close together. They got to get people, give people time. It's at the very end of the little tease for the deleted scenes. There's a little thing that comes up the screen that says more deleted scenes and filmmaker commentary coming on whatever home video release, which that that's promising that uh, the first 
version of the home video release will have a commentary. Maybe Disney's learning from Force Awakens and realizing they kind of annoyed people a little too much with having the commentary on the second DVD release. I still haven't bought that one. So and I feel bad because I want to listen to the commentary, but I haven't given up yet and gotten it. I think a Ryan Johnson commentary would be fascinating for both sides of the the camp, you know? <laughs> that's that's true. Maybe the, there's a little more uh, controversy and people wanting to hear what he has to say about things. But yeah, I'm excited. That was always my favorite part of getting the, the Blu-rays, the, the special features stuff, and the commentary is a big part of that. Yeah, I, I, I wish they could just pay Lucas just to do commentaries on the new movies. Yeah, I think about that way too much. Even if it's just him yelling and being upset, like, I don't care. I just want to hear him talk about the movies, good or bad. If he fell asleep. <sighs> just eating snacks, it's fine. <laughs> I'm not even watching this, people. I don't even have the sound on. Melody and I are going to Aruba, thanks to... These two hours that I'm sitting here watching Star Wars episode, Don't Care, I Don't Care. That's what it's called. People say there's a new Star Wars movie coming out in a matter of months, but I I don't know if I believe it. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard the rumors. I think someone on a message board somewhere claims they heard a movie's coming out there's a little bit of solo news out there let's do a solo rumor and news roundup really quick han solo 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 so ron howard tweeted out a photo of him and willow sitting around when they were doing some post-production sound work for Solo. Much like Ewan McGregor winning a Golden Globe that no one cared. They just wanted to hear about Obi-Wan. Whenever you see Ron Howard and Warwick Davis together, people just want to talk about Willow. So it was just, oh, when's Willow 2 coming? Come on, Willow 2. We're all waiting for Willow. That takes me back to the stars and cars during uh, Galactic Nights. Celebration yeah. in, in Disney World yeah. where we lost our minds when we saw Warwick Davis go by in a car and we all just Willow too! Willow! Yeah. We need Willow too! Willow! And he's like, I don't know anything about it. Stop yelling at me, tall guys. Yeah, I think he's gonna he started a support group with uh was that Ron Bergman? <laughs> <laughs> the giant blast points dudes won't leave us alone support group. Those guys, they had too many lightsaber churros. The sugar went straight to their brains. Yeah. They're screaming about Willow 2 at me for some reason. I can't believe it's really Willow. <laughs> we love you, Willow. I've never seen Willow in a car before. You are great. There was some kind of Disney event in France, and solo images were shown. This Disney event in France, what were the solo images shown? Nobody knows. Maybe it's just the logo, because there's a picture of them showing the logo. Maybe that was enough. Maybe that's all it takes in France, is to just show the logo. People go nuts. 
part of me is like, well, you know, we're going to get like an Entertainment Weekly cover probably like next week. Landa will be in there. Uh, Amelia Clark's character. Probably whatever the the wacky droid is going to be. Woody Harrelson as Woody Harrelson in a trench coat. Hopefully the Pike just hanging out, driving a car, eating a hot dog. We Pikes love hot dogs. <laughs> Sauerkraut. Speciality at the Pike homeworld. That's canon, I think. They make a mean mustard. There was news that the solo trailer has gone through IMAX DMR, which means digital media remastering, and it's ready to go. Yep, we're all ready to go, too. I also have gone through digital media remastering. I remastered myself to get ready for solo after being Last Jedi mastered. Did you see the thing the other day? I think we forgot to bring it up where I want to say in Japan, Last Jedi's, they're showing it like in 4D or whatever. So in Japan, they're showing it in 40X, which is already, I don't even know what that means. But you can, the the movie, the people in the audience can choose between light and dark sides. And depending on what you pick, there's like vibrations and wind and fog and strobe lights. And you get different effects depending on whether you pick dark or light side. How does that even work? Maybe there's buttons and you can push at the beginning. So, and then I guess it sounds like, like when they're on the ships in the movie, then there's like ambient lights and sound effects in the theater and they're different depending on what side you pick. See, this is why we can't, we can't have nice things. People get too angry that Holdo didn't tell Poe a plan. People freaking out and we can't have flashing lights and fog. Because every time I watch Last Jedi, all I keep thinking is if only there was fog in the theater, it would be so much awesomer. <laughs> The whole force tree, if it was really foggy in the theater, think about that. I just want to watch the whole movie with lights flashing in my face. I guess maybe the movie's been in theaters long enough. We can bring our own lights and fog and no one will really care. When Luke is meditating above the rock, your seat should lift up in the air. (laughs) Like Tommy Lee's drum kit? (laughs) Spin you around on the ceiling. You're doing it right, Japan. Here I come, Tacoma! The destruction of the Death Star was a major victory for the Rebellion, but our battle isn't over yet. Darth Vader and the evil forces of the Emperor keep a stranglehold over the galaxy, but the Rebel Alliance must and will succeed in forever ridding the galaxy of their scourge. Even now, in our secret underground base on the ice planet Hoth, new strategies are being planned. See for yourself in The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back comes to a theater near you on May the 21st, 1980. So Gabe, if you go to Kinsman, Ohio, there's a historical marker in there. And the backside of that is a tribute to Kinsman, Ohio's own Lee Brackett, where it lists some of her accomplishments as being the screenwriter of the film Rio Bravo 
And it says on the back of the historical marker, she was a screenwriter for a film called Star Wars 2. Oh, I heard it's a good one. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Star Wars 2. I'm a big fan of all the Star Wars 2s. <laughs> Lee Brackett wrote the first draft of Empire, but nowadays is kind of almost forgotten for her contribution, her influence, because if you stop most people on the street and say, who wrote The Empire Strikes Back? They're going to tell you it's Lawrence Kasdan. Everybody knows that. She is not a household name, nor is she really like in a, looked at as a very important figure in Star Wars history. But she is. She most definitely is. Yeah, she was there making it happen for a little while, while she could. She was born in 1915 and always was writing, particularly science fiction. For a while, she was known as the queen of space opera. She was also a screenwriter. She wrote film noir, The Big Sleep. She wrote, like we said before, Rio Bravo, the Robert Altman's the, the Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould. And she was the first woman ever shortlisted for a science fiction Hugo Award. In, in her mid-20s, she had her first story published, which was titled Martian Quest in the February 1940 issue of Astounding Science Fiction. Along that time, she wrote tons and tons of other books. She was a mentor to Ray Bradbury. When she was writing a lot of this like um, space opera science fiction, especially in the 1940s and 50s, uh, science fiction, which was already considered, you know, a second class, maybe not even second class, third, fourth, fifth class literary genre. Even within that badly looked upon genre, space opera was even had an even worse reputation because especially in the 50s, which a lot of people consider the science fiction boom, sci-fi was getting a little bit more serious. And she was still kind of writing these Queen of Mars, Attack of the Spacemen kind of books. And she encountered quite a bit of hostility from the sci-fi community that was that she was still writing these kind of books and hostility from a lot of readers that how dare a woman try to write science fiction. So she was considered very much in the 50s a, a maverick that she just kept going, did not care. She did not stop. She had a great quote around this time where she said someone asked her, why don't you write nice stories for the Ladies Home Journal? And she replied, I wish I could because they pay very well, but I can't read the Ladies Home Journal, and I'm sure I couldn't write for it. And she defended what she called escape fiction as a way of creating and exploring new worlds. Space opera has always been telling us tales of spaceflight, of journeys to other worlds. These stories serve to stretch our little minds, to draw us out beyond our narrow skies into the vast glooms of interstellar space where the great suns ride in splendor and the bright nebula fling their veils of fire parsecs long across the universe. Sounds like some Star Wars stuff to me. After she writes some of this sci-fi stuff she kind of takes a break she dabbles in screenwriting screenwriting like we were saying and then in 1977 along comes star wars which kind of makes pulpy space opera kind of cool again so lucas as we all know completely burned out after the first star wars movie 
has to come up with ideas for a sequel. And also around this time, someone handed George Lucas a copy of one of Lee Brackett's books and said, you should read this. This woman's been doing Star Wars before there was Star Wars. So according to John Baxter's myth-making book, he called up Lee Brackett on the phone, not even knowing that she had written all these screenplays in the past. And then he kind of, through talking to her, realized, oh, you're that Lee Brackett, the one that wrote like The Big Sleep and Rio Bravo. So he's just like, well, you're hired. Let's write the sequel to Star Wars. Yeah, and it's funny because it, it does seem like on paper, everything she had done leading up to this point with her books and then even her movie stuff is like all stuff that George Lucas would like and did like. So it seems like it's a perfect match of him finding someone that he can basically pawn off the the horrible job of having to write a script to. So it's really interesting how it turns out because <laughs> it seem, it seems like, oh, this is going to be perfect. And Lucas, you know, like we said, he's burned out. He's also figuring out how he's going to pay for Empire 100% himself. He's just building Lucasfilm at this time. He's building ILM, like all the cornerstones of what eventually would become Lucasfilm are still kind of growing at this point. Mm-hmm. In his mind, he's just like, you know, very much like the Richard Marquand experience. I want to pass this off to somebody else because I don't have the time to do this. And the way it goes for George Lucas, that never really works out. But <laughs> my inclination is to do everything myself and make my own thing. And on my first films, I was able to do that. I mean, they were very small crews. If something went wrong, the art department, something wrong, I just go fix it. I just do, do it myself. I was in complete control. Star Wars, I couldn't do that. I tried to be in complete control. I tried to do everything myself, and it almost killed me. I, it just was too difficult, and I realized, and, and I was so miserable because I couldn't get things right. You know, my, my, which is, with all young people, I think, your ideals are so much greater than what you can possibly attain, and you don't realize the perspective, and you agonize incredibly. Uh, over the fact that things are not turning out the way you want them to turn out. And while there may be a good job, it's not the best job, and it's not the ideal that you're, you're trying to get. Uh, and part of it, and I said, if I could do it myself, I could get it. But I can't do it through, you know, I tell somebody something, and he tells somebody else, he tells somebody else, and I come on the set, and it's not right. And uh, it's that kind of uh, problem that I had to deal with. So I had a choice of, I figured if I ever was going to be creative on a large scale, I had to cope with this particular problem. One way to cope with it is to move myself back one step and say, okay, not only am I not going to, I'm just not even going to get involved in that whole world. I'll put other people down there and see what happens. And I'll really do it by remote control and see what happens. And part of it was that learning experience, which I think has been very good for me to be able to step back and, and let go of it. And, and, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like building, I used to work in a foreign car service, and it's like building up a finely tuned Ferrari that you've worked on for two or three years and turn it over to some friend of yours and say, okay, we'll take it out for a spin. So Lucas and Brackett have a week-long story conference where Lucas maps out the story. Brackett and Lucas really kind of hash out 
what's going to be the story of Star Wars 2? Right, because bef- it looks like before that, Lucas kind of did a brief couple page handwritten treatment of the big the major beats of the story and brought that into the meeting with Lee to go over ideas for the script. And it sounds like from their their meetings they came up with about what, about 55 page transcript was hashed out between the two of them where she had a lot of influence on where the story should go to. Then she went off, wrote her screenplay for Star Wars 2. And then, unfortunately, before she could continue and do more drafts, passed away of cancer in March of 78. Yeah, which I think is, what, just a couple months after she handed in her draft. So Lucas has said afterwards of Lee Brackett's draft, my, and this is in the, uh, the annotated screenplays book, he says, My thoughts weren't fully, fully formed, and I felt that her script went in a different direction. And Larry Kasdan went on to say that Lee Brackett's script didn't quite get the feel of what Lucas was going for. And her sensibilities represent an earlier era. Having read the script, I can kind of see that. It's interesting because it's almost like going back to the early drafts of the original film that Lucas wrote. That it's kind of like he went through that process of rewriting the story so many times until it kind of became what people feel is star wars and it's almost like she didn't have that time to rework the story to turn it into what is star wars so it is almost like it's like reading another lost draft from the wills way way back in the history before star wars was star wars so in that respect it is really interesting because it's kind of like star wars but it's a very different kind of star wars i think it's very very easy to laugh off uh, Lee Brackett's, her draft, and some of the stuff she did. I th- but I, th- I think that's just because we are so used to The Empire Strikes Back as it is. And so much of that is Kasdan's snappy dialogue, which there's none of that in Lee Brackett's screenplay. It, it, it represents a, a very different direction that Empire Strikes Back could have gone down. It, I don't know what would have happened if this was the sequel to Star Wars. I don't even know if we would be alive if this was the sequel to Star Wars. At the time, it could have been a passable screenplay. It's just very hard to gauge you know, the quality because we're comparing it to something that we've known for almost 40 years. The weirdness of it isn't necessarily even her fault either because a lot of what's in the her draft is are the things that Lucas asked for. You know, there was only one other Star Wars movie at the time to even understand what a Star Wars movie is supposed to be. She just kind of ran with what she had. And you get the sense going through the annotated screenplays that a lot of the the major changes from what she wrote to what ended up on screen were contributions from Kasdan and from Kirshner. He had a lot of input on what was going to happen. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see really as different as the specifics are through all the different drafts that the actual bones and meat of the movie doesn't really change. Like it always starts on an ice planet. There's always kind of a chase in the middle and they always end up on the cloud planet. You know, it is the same movie. It's just the details kind of get, get shifted around as each person kind of has input on the script. Yeah, so we both read all of Lee Brackett's 
Star Wars 2. I think we should go through it and talk about what is going on in Star Wars 2 because it's pretty fascinating. And had you have you read this before? You know, I had heard about it. I had read the Entertainment Screenplays book probably about 85 to 90 times. I had heard rumors about Lee Brackett's screenplay, but that was a thing too. I had heard rumors like, or I'd always heard people talking about, oh, it's so bad. When I actually sat down to read it, I was kind of like, no, this is, it's different. I'm kind of into it. It's like, I was kind of into it. Like read it. Like you were saying, when we did the episode on the different, all of George Lucas's drafts for a new hope, they're just bizarre. They're completely different from what we know, but there's still something very Star Wars about it all. It's just the ideas aren't fully formed yet. Yeah. And if anything, I like reading this. I felt like I was reading the uh, comics, like the newspaper comics. The It's it's the characters we know from the films, but they're just off on these crazy, you know, Flash Gordon comic adventures where they're riding lizards and meeting weird warlords and just, you know, doing stuff that people in science fiction comic books do it it just happens to be luke leia and han that are doing the uh, adventuring that's the good stuff it is it, disney's got that till the end of time so maybe someday we'll get a the lee bracket empire strikes back film <laughs> why not you know when when disney's got their netflix their online video system do an animated forces of destiny style version of Lee Brackett's screenplay just for fun. Let's see Star Wars 2. I'm actually surprised they haven't done a comic of it yet. So let's go through it. Let's talk about what's going on in this. It starts out, no crawl, opens up on an ice planet that is never named. Everything's pretty similar. Luke and Han are riding giant lizards, but Luke does not see a meteorite crash near there. He just goes off to investigate something pretty. Yeah, there's a real pretty ice formation on the other side of the ridge. And then there, there's a Wampa attack, but the Wampa's never named. Meanwhile, Han arrives back at the Rebel base, which is a giant ice castle. Immediately, Leia begins to tell Han that they have been in contact with Han's stepfather, this guy, Oven Merkal, who, according to Leia, is the most powerful man in the galaxy besides Palpatine. Except for in, uh, I think, in... <laughs> In this story meetings, I think Lucas calls him like the fifth or sixth most powerful person in the galaxy. <laughs> I was acting crazy. Has he got a big chair? Has he got a gumball? A rocket? Rocket ship gumball? He's got them all. Which then in the Antian Screenplays book, they talk about still how they hashed out Han's backstory. And Han had this mentor who's like an Ernest Hemingway type character who was kind of a jerk. And I still wonder if this Oven Mercall is somehow still whatever the heck Woody Harrelson's playing is still somehow connected to this old idea. Yeah. Of this weird, mysterious mentor figure from Han Solo's past. Yeah, that got me thinking, too, that in this, the world of Star Wars, nothing ever really gets thrown away. That there's a few moments in here that seem like 
they could very well end up in the Han Solo movie without a second thought. So meanwhile, Luke's over in the Wampa Cave, and he hears the voice of Ben Kenobi. Remember the Force, boy. Open your mind to it. Open your heart. <laughs> Which I really like. Uh, he's sounding like a like a Fleetwood Mac song or something. Well, and everyone's really mean to Luke in this, and everyone it's like Han keeps calling him boy, and Ben keeps calling him boy. He's bringing him down. They bring back Luke to the Rebel Ice Castle base, and he's healing up, and he's like asking for his lightsaber. And this part is insane. Because he's like, where's my father's lightsaber? And C-3PO is like, oh, here it is, Master Luke. And he's bringing it over to Luke, and C-3PO somehow breaks the lightsaber. Yeah, and a crystal falls out of it. But it's not a lightsaber crystal, right? It's basically, it's like the map to Luke Skywalker that was uh, that uh, Lor Santeca had. But it's the map to Yoda, right? And Luke's first thing when he's like, when they discover that it's a map, he's like, maybe this is where my father trained. So meanwhile, after that, we cut to Vader, which which one of the three scenes that Vader is in the whole movie. Vader is on the city planet, which is the capital of the Empire, Tan Mund. Yes. And he has, what, a couple guys torturing an alien who I love is described as a very alien looking alien. Sounds great. Those are my favorites. But who speaks in quick chattering bursts, which just makes me think of uh, the Geonosian. So, you know, there's a little, a little goes a long way here. And Vader has the, he's, he's looking for the coordinates on where the rebels are. And he's got maybe the best line in the whole screenplay where he says, the coordinates, man, the coordinates. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. I'm surprised he didn't, he could have said that in the VHS game, you know. David Prowse probably said that. The coordinates, man. The coordinates. Oh. <laughs> so then we, after that amazing scene with Darth Vader, we cut back to the ice castle. Han is telling Leia that he's going to find his stepfather, who's the head of the transport guild. And then C-3PO is telling Luke, who's thinking about the crystal and where his father is, that there are no more Jedi left. Kenobi was the last. And Vader is a Jedi, but you can't really go to Darth Vader for lessons. Always one with the best advice. (laughs) And Obi-Wan Kenobi was the last Jedi. And I think, isn't that when they kind of get into, like, there's a lot more uh, mushy love stuff in this script. And Luke is talking to Leia about how he loves her and wants to keep her safe with sweet and tender kisses. But she pushes him away. As soon as they start talking about love, some action scenes break out with multiple Wampa attacks. And the Wampas are going through the ice castle base and they're breaking some of the water pipes up above. Freezing people to death. <laughs> yeah, it's fu- it was funny to go and look at, I mean, some of the story treatment stuff and the quotes from Lucas about how they were trying to go more of a horror film in a way. And this whole Hoth part does kind of feel like a horror film in more so in this where there's there's always talking about the shadow like the wampas well they're not called wampas but you know the shadows of the creatures moving around in the walls and i did like the fact that i think earlier in the script it's kind of like the deceited deleted scenes for empire where there's han and leia just talking about drama stuff while there's like 
wampas spying through the walls. <laughs> so like one of the, the best parts from Empire deleted scenes of them <laughs> scratching through the ice is kind of, you know, it's here in this version. So... Luke begins to feel something coming. And meanwhile, there's there's Imperial ships landing, all while pipes are breaking yeah, and still freezing people. C-3PO gets frozen into a wall. Everybody gets out of the Imperial base. There's no Battle of Hoth, really. Yeah, it's well, the Battle of Hoth is them fighting Wampas. Just lots and lots of ice Wampas. It's also a little, uh, I mean, I guess it's an early draft, but there's a lot of dialogue from someone called Willard. Is that... General Reekin, maybe? I think it's like an earlier version of, of yeah, General Reekin or Reikin, depending on where you're from. Part of the planet, the galaxy. And then did you notice the pilot character, Sedge, shows up? Could be Wedge. Yeah, could be Wedge. May not be Wedge. Set, maybe he's Wedge's brother. Maybe that's the original bootleg Wedge with Sedge. <laughs> Sedge and Tilly's. Uh, and Dodonna does show up, which is interesting because he doesn't end up in Empire Strikes Back in the final drafts, right? Because Dodana's never in Echo Base, is he? No. Yeah. Which got me thinking about how, like, uh, Snap Wexley and stuff isn't in Last Jedi, or some of the some of the Resistance people just didn't show up in Last Jedi. It's like, well, where was Dodana? Where was Mustache Man in Empire? Yeah, you're right. So Vader tries to, at this point, Vader's on the ice planet, and he tries to mentally connect with Luke. And Luke's, like, getting in his X-Wing. And Vader's mental connection to Luke makes Luke pass out. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if it's just the mental connection wore him out, or is he, like, basically force-choking him, and that's why he can't breathe. I think it just made him pass out. He showed him his future from The Last Jedi, and he was just like, I can't even handle that. I'm going to pass out. (laughs) It's too exciting. So as Luke is flying away and R2 is flying the X-Wing, Darth Vader has another great line. Goodbye, Luke Skywalker. The most fun stuff reading this script is the version of the script is like a photocopy of a printed version with basically George Lucas handwritten notes on that that are really hard to read. But there's a whole part where Vader has this big, long speech about Obi-Wan's fledgling disabled my fighter and sent me spinning off into space. And it's basically like, it says rewrite. Han did that. She probably watched the movie once or twice, but you know, she didn't, I'm sure she didn't take notes. So she didn't have the Blu-ray. Yeah. She didn't (laughs) have it to reference. So, you know, Lucas probably was getting a little uh, red in the face here. (laughs) Han did it. I had a heart attack (laughs) My whole life I can show it to you if you need to see it So then Luke goes off to the bog planet And here's here's where The Lee Brackett's screenplay Kicks it up to 11 And he meets the ancient Jedi Master known as The Minch Minch, and the there's no there's no playing around with the Minch. The Minch is just like right away. Yep, I'm a frogman. I'm a Jedi. I knew your dad. I knew Obi Wan Kenobi. Let's get down to business, Luke. Minch has got things to do, and he wants to get right to it. Uh, he does make Luke eat some nasty swamp food. 
So that's in there. Mm-hmm. He tells R2-D2 to shut up at one point. <laughs> yeah, I do like how much more, uh, there's a lot more Minch and R2 not getting along. R2's pretty salty in the script. The, the Minch is pretty salty. Yeah, well, there's a lot of seasoning going on on uh, the bog planet. Meanwhile, you know, Han, Han's off on the Falcon, and they, to lose the Imperials, they head into an asteroid field. And there's a great part with Leia manning the gun turret, which I was like, oh, that would have been cool. Before that, even, there's, it's a little strange where the hyperdrive is working, but they're trying to figure out where to go to. Leia has like an exploding necklace that has the coordinates in it. If you remember that part? Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there's a there's a necklace that has the the secret coordinates to go when there's a rebel emergencies and it's in a necklace that if you do the code wrong it explodes. What? So it gets a little bit like running man. <laughs> Therefore for a bit. We cut back after the, after that excitement of exploding necklaces to Luke and the Minch, and Luke suddenly just wants to leave. He's like, Ben Kenobi was the last Jedi. I'm out of here. There's no one left to teach. Luke is trying to get his X-Wing out of the swamp, and the Minch is like, why don't you use the Force, Luke? And Luke's like, okay, and the X-Wing comes out. Yeah. A little less drama. <laughs> we, we, we cut back to the Millennium Falcon, and they're still going through asteroids, and Han and Leia are kissing. And now this part is pretty interesting because they, it felt like, number one, they're just kissing out of nowhere. Number two, while they're kissing, C-3PO is like spying on them. And Chewbacca. Well, Chewbacca, I felt like, was, like, doing work, and C-3PO was, like, the script says that C-3PO was elbowing Chewbacca. Like, uh, check that out. And Chewbacca's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But I think at some point Chewbacca, like, doesn't want to see it either and is getting annoyed with them because there's, like, there's a lot more making out in this version than we get in in the final movie. And for some reason, every time they're making out, C-3PO is spying on them. Yeah, I didn't like it. But that's that's another one from the they talk about that in the story meeting they had. Like he wanted, you know, them to make out in 3PO and Chewbacca to be like talking about it like kids watching. Like, I don't know, their parents make out or something weird. <laughs> that old that old smoothie George Lucas. Yeah. That was, nobody knows romance like the old George. The king of romance. It's an old fashioned, it's old fashioned kind of story. It's like the 40s. That's how they did it. It's a peek into my lifestyle. You don't want to know. (laughs) When there was always a robot watching. So back on bootleg Dagobah, uh, the Minch takes Luke's saber. And we have a very exciting scene where the Minch says, By the force, I call on you. And who appears? Ben Kenobi. And the Minch and Ben Kenobi have a fencing duel. An amazing, incredible fencing duel. And then it's back to work. (laughs) Not much really comes out of this fencing duel. (laughs) Well, no, it's like, you know, it's how Luke knows. He's like, okay, these guys know what they're talking about. Ben tells him how Minch was his teacher and he was a Jedi Knight. 
But then Ben won't answer the questions because he's like, well, when you're able to call me here yourself, I'll come talk to you. <laughs> Mitch called me, so I have a fencing duel. But yeah, Luke, when you're ready, I'll come back. I'll only answer to the Minch, not to you, boy. <laughs> So a little bit later, we cut to Vader's castle. It kind of is a little bit reminiscent. I mean, was this one of the first times we were introduced to the whole concept of Vader living in a castle? But yeah, if you thought the Rogue One Vader castle was cool, this is this is the real stuff. <laughs> the script says something that like he's hanging out with like these little gargoyle creatures. Yeah, there's small gargoyles that perch or caper on the massive furniture. So he's basically been shopping where George Lucas shops. So Vader's got giant chairs and he's feeding them tidbits from a golden bowl. So I'm a little sad that we've been denied seeing Darth Vader feeding birds, basically. So isn't, but it, don't we get this part with Vader because Minch and like Luke is meditating with Minch? And he begins to form a mental bond with Vader. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you're right. And Luke goes straight to the dark. And Minch, Minch is saying that uh, Vader's too powerful and he's trying to get Luke out of his meditative trance with Vader. I mean, it all sounds awfully similar to some other movie. Some other movie with a last Jedi in it. And if that wasn't enough, right after that, Vader has a little phone call chat with the Emperor. And in Lee Brackett's screenplay, the Emperor shows up wearing a gold cloak. <laughs> like for, you know, for a good three or so couple pages in... Lee Brackett's screenplay, it's like you're reading The Last Jedi there. Yeah. Well, because even the thing with Vader, like Vader's just doing his, you know, mundane day-to-day feeding his gargoyles. And then all of a sudden Luke pops up in his head just like, you know, Kylo's just trying to get some some uh, stitches done and Ray shows up. So, yeah. That was kind of amazing where I was like, do I, do I send a tweet to Ryan Johnson? <laughs> We're on to you, Ryan. <laughs> Somebody likes the Lee Brackett draft a little bit too much. But, hey, it's here. It's waiting. It's waiting to be used. So episode nine, maybe Kylo will be feeding some gargoyles from a golden bowl. Oh, first scene. He better be. These are my pets. I have to feed them. Keep pets. Feed them if you have to. I named this one Hux because it has a red head on the top of it. That gargoyle died, so I named it Snoke. So after that, we cut back to the Falcon and Han and Leia decide that they got to go find Lando Kadar. He's from a family of refugees from the Clone Wars, and he lives on the floating cloud city of Hoth. And Hoth means cloud, Han thinks. In case Hoth is just too weird for you, it's okay. It was really confusing because it's like... They were talking about a city in the clouds and like calling it Hoth. And I was like, wait, what? I'm, I'm so confused. Well, and what we get, Lando has a friend who's not Lobot. He is an alien by the name of Bahiri, chief of the Whitebird clan of the cloud people. 
the description is that they have white hair and white faces, and everyone on the Cloud City Hoth flies around on giant birds. No, not birds. Giant flying manta rays. Ah, okay. So really, they're the Camino people, I think. With white hair. That was one thing all the Camino people needed was white hair. Um, and Bahiri is like Lando's stepdad or something, right? Or he adopted him. Yeah, Bahiri, yeah. He's like watches over Lando. And Lando is described as super duper handsome, looking like Rudolph Valentino. Which kind of, it's kind of like what Kasdan is saying, you know, maybe sensibilities of a different time. Because then, though, you know, if you look up Rudolph Valentino, do a Google search and look up Rudolph Valentino. There's one person in Star Wars that Rudolph Valentino looks like. Wouldn't happen to be Master Codebreaker, would it? Yeah. Well, what's funny is that's that was one of the things in when they had their story meeting. I believe it. I think Lucas said make him look like Valentino. You know, maybe that was something they agreed on. That that's what someone who's so handsome they don't look real looks like. <laughs> well, like Master Codebreaker. Exactly. <laughs> Are you an angel? So even with all this Cloud City action, we cut back to one amazing scene of Luke and the Minch, where they're talk- still talking about training. But what are Luke and the Minch doing? Levitating fruit. Yes. Yes. So where have we seen that before? <laughs> Possibly Star Wars 2. If Master Obi-Wan saw me doing this, he'd be very grumpy. Fruit looks so good. I actually ate a peach tonight. And while I was eating the peach, I was just thinking about Anakin. Good or bad, Attack of the Clones has ruined fruit for me because I can't eat a fruit without thinking about Star Wars. So, so shortly after that, all this action on the bog planet, Luke calls out to Ben. By the force, I call on you. Ben shows up, and Ben Kenobi's pretty much like, Oh, look who's here, young Luke. Your dad. (laughs) I found the ghost of your dad. So Luke's dad shows up, who's never called Anakin Skywalker, but he's not Darth Vader. He's just called Luke's dad, isn't he? Master Skywalker. Pretty much is just like, Hey, Luke. Boy, you got big. Oh, by the way, did I ever tell you that you have a sister? A twin sister. And Luke's just like, I do? Who is she? And Luke's dad, yeah, I'm not going to tell you right now. Because Darth Vader will find out and, you know, and he'll take her as a hostage or something. So your real test is go go face Darth Vader. Yeah. But then he's like, but will you take from me the oath of a Jedi Knight? So if you're going to be a Jedi, you got to take the Jedi oath. Which, Gabe, I think for you and I and all of our listeners right now, we should read the Jedi Oath. All right. I'm going to read it to you and you have to repeat it. I, Luke Skywalker. I, Luke Skywalker. Do swear on my honor. Do swear on my honor. And on the faith of the Brotherhood of Knights. And on the faith of the Brotherhood of Knights. To use the force only for good. To use the force only for good. Turning always from the dark side. Turning always from the dark side. To dedicate my life to the cause of freedom. To dedicate my life to the cause of freedom. 
And justice. And justice. If I should fail of this vow. If I should fail of this vow. My life shall be forfeit. My life shall be forfeit. Here and hereafter. Here and hereafter. (laughs) There you go. You're a Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! That's a little bit of Last Jedi in there, too. You know, if I should fail, forfeit my life. And then somehow four lightsabers touch. Oh, I guess. Okay, because his dad's there now. And then his dad's like, this is the only armor I can give you, son. The rest is yours to do. And then Ben's just like, I'm out. Goodbye. You're a Jedi now. Ben Kenobi out. (laughs) The thing I like with this part is people get all bent out of shape saying that they're making the sequel trilogy up as they go. (laughs) There's, There's not one overall reaching story like the original trilogy was. George Lucas had that thing all planned out. Well, and what's great, too, is there are parts in this where he scribbles things out and writes no, and he didn't write no in this part. So <laughs> the, the the Jedi Oath was definitely mulling around in his head for a while. They just don't have one person in charge of the whole thing like George Lucas was. He He was in charge of all of it. All these different directors and writers coming in on these movies. Disney doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. They don't have a plan. They don't have vision. (laughs) Oh, boy. So Darth Vader shows up on the bog planet in some kind of version of Luke's force cave thing. And Vader's talking a lot of smack to Luke. And everything that Vader says, Luke's just like, I took the oath. I took the oath. I can't. I can't do it. Took an oath. Uh, Vader's pretty much like, join me. Meanwhile, on Hoth, C-3PO is still blown up. There's no Ichuta, unfortunately. I think the, Je- the Jedi oath makes up for no Ichuta. But then kind of right after that, we have Master Codebreaker Lando explaining a very different version of the Clone Wars than what we know of the Clone Wars. So Lando explains that he is a clone of the Ashardi family. Lando says his great grandfather wanted many sons and he produced them on the cells of his own body. His sister, a remarkable woman produced many daughters by the same means. Thus they kept the blood pure, but since the wars, there are not many of them left and they try not to attract attention. Lando goes on to say it was strange to see His own face endlessly repeated on the streets of our cities. It gave us a great sense of oneness, of belonging. And now every face is new and different. I truly feel alone. That would have been a bit of a pickle to try and make a cartoon out of that. (laughs) A little bit. But what's I think what's interesting, though, is it is kind of like this is Star Wars 2. And when Lucas actually went and wrote Star Wars 2... There's some of this Star Wars 2 and that Star Wars 2 because in Attack of the Clones, it's all about the clones and cloning. And we got the Camino and stuff and people riding manta rays like it is Star Wars 2. They went back and grabbed the good bits. I don't know if they're the good bits, but they grabbed they grabbed bits. (laughs) There are some bits of grabbed some little morsels that he put in his golden bowl that became Attack of the Clones. Um, Luke leaves the bog planet, says goodbye to the Minch. He's off to go find Hoth. Uh, So the dinner scene is still there, but it's a little bit different because Han and Leia and Lando show up at the dinner. Everybody's mad, but not that mad because they all sit down and eat dinner. 
with Darth Vader. I can't eat. And if we're lucky, you know, Galaxy's Edge, maybe there'll be like a restaurant where you can have like dinner with Vader and it's like hibachi and there's guys cooking on the table and Darth Vader's just sitting there watching you eat. He tells them he just wants Luke and that's it. And they're like free to just hang out in Cloud City. There's not really, he doesn't torture them and really capture them. They're just hanging out waiting for Luke to show up. Yeah, there's zero of Han getting frozen in carbonite, not even brought up. Yeah, well, there's no Boba Fett. Nope, no bounty hunters whatsoever. Dengar, not in there. Bosk. Forlom, Zuckus. So Luke lands on Hoth. Eventually, him and Vader face each other in a pretty different kind of confrontation. There's a lot of stuff of Vader laughing at Luke. <laughs> well, and the fight gets real uh, surreal, and they're like hallucinating the, a lot of the fight, right? Like they're fighting in their minds, isn't it? Like, because Vader's like grabbing stars with his hands, and I think I think I was hallucinating while I was reading these parts. I don't know. It's it's like the end of the Angley Hulk movie, where it starts out like a normal fight, and next thing you know, they're in the clouds, and there's jellyfish, and <laughs> you don't know what's going on. It's like okay, just put your hands up. All right, if you say so. I think it's pretty much like that. Meanwhile, Lando and Han and Leia and the 3PO are trying to get out, kind of similar to traditional Empire Strikes Back. And uh, at one point, C-3PO gets so freaked out that he shuts himself off and says, goodbye, world. Instead of saying, well, shut me down, <laughs> he just does it. The the Vader-Luke fight is still going on. And um, there's no, obviously, I'm your father. Vader's still kind of saying, join me and all that stuff. It, Luke's hand does not get cut off. And instead of him falling down the chasm, he just kind of jumps over like a little fence and happens to land on the Millennium Falcon. I do like at the end of the fight, he kind of he wins by faking out Vader like Vader expects him to block and he just moves out of the way. So Vader's kind of off balance. Luke's on the Falcon and he's telling Leia, I, I was full of rage. I was using the dark side. Han leaves to go find uh, his stepfather, and as Han flies away in the Falcon, Luke salutes him with his lightsaber out. And that's the end of Star Wars 2, folks. It's also uh, the end of Last Jedi, if he was holding a broom. Brian Johnson, number one fan. He's a big fan of Star Wars 2. I don't know. What your final thoughts on Lee Brackett's Empire Strikes Back, a.k.a. Star Wars 2? Yeah, I was kind of disappointed in myself for waiting so long to actually read it. And it was kind of like you're saying. It's like you just hear bad things about it. And it's like, oh, I don't, I don't need to have time. I don't need to read that. But it's fun in its own kind of weird way. Like it's Star Wars enough to be enjoyable and a lot of the time reading it, I was thinking like, you know, in most cases, this is probably would be a sequel <laughs> and it would be probably fine. Like people probably would have went and saw this and be like, all right, it's Star Wars 2. It's not the Empire Strikes Back that we got and everybody loves, but it's goofy and weird. It's Star Wars a little bit. <laughs> it's like, a, I don't know. It's like even more hokey and in, in, uh wholesome maybe than you think star wars is but it's not too far off it's goofy and it's crazy and weird but those are that's 
Star Wars twos. That's what they are. You know, <laughs> this was her first draft. You know, who knows where this would have went with a few more revisions. It's kind of it's unfortunate that like, you know, this is how she's remembered for helping with Star Wars because she really didn't get a chance to make any changes or, or do anything. You know, Rinsler's making of Empire book touches on it. The Antaid Screenplays book touches on it. So much of the skeleton that survived into Lawrence Kasdan's drafts of Empire, the story beats came from a lot of Brackett and Lucas together. Yeah, I mean, really, Kasdan did, he changed the dialogue a lot, but the actual, the movie was kind of already there of what they do and where they go and the the big the big themes and everything. I mean, a lot of that's, because that is still here in this first draft. So seek out this screenplay. Read it for yourself. We'll post it up on our Facebook page. Read it yourself. Check it out. See what you think of it. Say the Jedi Oath. Become a Jedi. It's legally binding. So think about it. Because now if, if, well, I guess you said Luke Skywalker, so you're okay. If you would have said Jason, then, you know, if you weren't true to the oath, you would just drop dead. So be very careful. Far, far away. The adventures of Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and Han Solo did not end with the destruction of the Death Star. Now, the Empire strikes back, and the Star Wars saga continues with the struggle against the dark forces of evil. Read the exciting story in Sphere Paperback. Hear John Williams' magnificent score on RSO records and tapes. See The Empire Strikes Back, Certificate U. At the Odeon Leicester Square from Wednesday, May the 21st. An exclusive presentation in 70mm and Dolby Stereo. Book now. Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back Collection, it's Rebel Armored Snow Speeder. Batteries not included. You got my message! C-3PO and Rebel Soldier action figures each sold separately. We'll get you to safety! The Empire Forces! We've got to escape! Snow Speeder has laser guns with sound and light action. Got them! Back to the Rebel Base! Rebel Armored Snow Speeder from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back Collection. Action figures each sold separately from Kenner. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Last week got a couple fantastic emails that we're going to save for a future episode. We also have 
some new iTunes reviews that we're also going to save for a future episode, but that should not stop you from sending us an email contact at blastpointspodcast.com or writing to us an awesome iTunes review where you write a little something cool on there. And as always, we will read your review on an upcoming show, just like those other ones that we have saved for the future. Yeah. And check out blastpointspodcast.com and last points on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never ever miss an episode with the promise of a solo trailer coming soon you don't want to miss out on that subscribe and it'll they'll let you know right when that new episode pops up yep so thanks for listening thank you for taking the jedi oath <laughs> we will be back next week the coordinates man <laughs> the coordinates thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week bye bye May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. book about Lando is I see him as a Rudolph Valentino character 1930s hair slicked back wears white sport coats white carnations always wheeling and dealing like a gambler make him almost too perfect looking we assume that in the cloning process they manipulated genes and improved on the original so Master Codebreaker is OG Lando Made of